Well, welcome back to Crazy Faith Talk. I'm Sarah. I'm Steve. And I'm Erica. And we are grateful you're with us this Easter tide. Christ is still risen. Christ is risen indeed. (laughs) Whatever response you want, that's cool. Uh, And not only is Christ still risen, we are into a series that's new here for Easter tide. Uh, taking a moment to hear some of the individual stories of uh, the voices around our microphones here and the call stories of each of us. Uh, you were all gracious to get to hear me tell my own story, as I recall it, um, in, in our conversation last time. And uh, Erica has been gracious enough to tell us her story today. So Erica, tell us your call story. So mine varies greatly from yours, Steve, because I did not have, like I grew up in the church, uh, not quite as much as you did. Um, I was taken to Sunday school every week through most of my growing up years, but my call didn't come until after college, actually. Um, so my college, I went for elementary education and thought I was going to be a teacher. I, I, I still am. It's just a very different type of teaching. Um, so my college really started um, sometime after I graduated college. Um, it, and it's kind of a convoluted story. It's a lot of ins and outs of different things. Uh, It came through mission work and it came through what we in the Methodist church called lay servant ministry schools. Um, And those are classes that the lady in the church, uh, the people of the church take. um, And some of them take it just for education to learn more about the church. Maybe some of them take it because they want to preach in the church and speak in the church, fill the pulpit when a pastor's out. I went because my best friend dragged me and said, you have to go. (laughs) And so I said, okay. Uh, and I went to what in that, in that time frame it, it is the order of things has changed now, but I went through the basic course, um, in which like we had to do a, a sermon and a devotional and like a storytelling thing. And then I went through the advanced course with, which is preaching course in between that and some mission work, I started realizing that maybe teaching wasn't my calling, um, I, my home church went down to help with Katrina recovery in 06 and 07. We were in Slidell, Louisiana, just on the other side of the lake from New Orleans. And on that very first trip down there, I remember going into the church that we were serving. They had this huge social area where they had after school programs for the kids and you know, adult reading and literacy programs, things like that. Um, and of course, all that had been shut down because of the hurricane. They were still in the recovery process. And I remember being able to like picture and seeing the kids there and everything. And I I wasn't real pleased with where I was um, career-wise. I was substitute teaching for about a year at that point and um, for a couple of years, I guess. And I'm just like, is this really what I'm supposed to be doing for the rest of my life? Um, And so I, I called my pastor over to me one day and we were talking about it. And I said, "I, I don't know, this is what I'm really called to. And they were looking that that church in Louisiana was looking for a youth pastor. And so by the time we got home, um, I reached out to the pastor a couple months later. They had found somebody, which was good because I wasn't ready to move that far away from home yet. Um, but that kind of got the start of an idea like maybe I'm not called to be a teacher in the public school system. And so I started exploring youth ministry and, and started helping with the youth group in my church uh, for the younger kids and 
then I, we went back to Katrina and I really loved doing mission work. And so, and I had friends that were missionaries in Africa. And so I thought, well, maybe I'm being called into mission work. Um, so took up an opportunity to go to Paraguay with my conference to see, cause I spoke a wee bit of Spanish, um, still speak a wee bit of Spanish, but you know, I thought this is international missions. This is a chance to see what international mission work looks like. Um, and so after two trips to Louisiana and a trip down to Paraguay, I kind of discerned that my call, I had a calling from God not to be a teacher in the public school system, not to be a youth director, not to go into the mission field, but to go into pastoral ministry. Um, through the lay school that I had taken, I got an opportunity to preach in my home church for the first time. And a gentleman from that church, his name was Dale, um, said to me after the sermon, he's like, so when are we starting the fun for you to go to seminary? I said, Dale, no, I, I'm not called to go to seminary. Like, you know, maybe missions or whatever. And that was in June. I went to Paraguay that August. I came back after talking with the pastors on that trip. Um, in a lot of prayer and discernment and realizing maybe I actually am called the pastoral ministry. <laughs> so I came from that back from that trip and I said, Dale, okay, so when are we starting that fund to go to seminary? Uh, and that fall I applied. Um, the pastor that I had currently and the pastor before him had both gone to Asbury Theological Seminary in Wilmore, Kentucky. And so that's where I applied, got in and spent five and a half years there. Uh, working on my master's of divinity, which is the main graduate program you need to become an ordained elder in the United Methodist Church, but also got a degree in spiritual formation while I was down there as well, um, because that's something that has really just been a huge part of my spiritual journey is um, spiritual disciplines, prayer, those kind of things. Um, I came back to Western Pennsylvania after graduating, spent a couple years in Warren, uh, Pennsylvania as a what we call a provisional elder so in our denomination you don't go straight from seminary to ordination you have this provisional period it used to be called probation they realized that was probably not a right term for for clergy to say that they were on probation uh, so it was provisional and you do it's a two interview process with our board of ministry I, I did the first interviews in 2012 got commissioned as a provisional elder served for two and a half years or two years as a provisional elder, and then was ordained in 2017, right before moving to the parish I'm currently in. So it's a little bit of my calling. One of the things I really appreciate about the way you tell that story, Erica, is I hear in that a recognition that to be called isn't like all other options are evil or bad and that the one right thing, but like there were lots of possibilities for ways you might have been called. And even that the, the question was, were you called to teaching or called to mission work or called to pastoral ministry? And that it's not a, either you accept God's call to church life or you're you know wicked and reprobate, you're you know going to the world, but no, God calls us in different ways. And people whose work is in teaching or laboring or whatever other mm -hmm. kinds of work, those are also rightly understood as vocations as well. I, I'm, I'm so grateful to have that framing. Yeah, I, I, I didn't honestly give God a lot of consultation when it came to my undergraduate degree. Um, I wasn't as spiritual back then. Um, I, I do like the people that I know 
that I went to school with or other teachers I know, um, not that it's not true of every other profession, but like teaching is a calling. I fully 110% believe that um, because you could not pay me enough to teach. I would do the work I do now for free if I could get away with it. You could not pay me enough to teach because that is a calling. And I'm, that's just not mine. So, so I heard as you told your call story that there was several different avenues that you were discerning, is God calling me this way? You know, was it missions, whether um, here in the U.S. or internationally? Um, was it something with spiritual formation? Was it like mm-hmm. lots of different possibilities? And knowing that you ultimately decided upon parish ministry in the United Methodist Church, um, you know, and you got your MDiv, but you also got that secondary degree at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, how, I, I guess, I, I am not sure how I want to phrase this question. So I'm going to like, just think out loud and you can take it any way you would like. Um, what was the path in deciding to take that second degree and how have you used it since? So when I went to seminary, that second degree program did not exist. Uh, it came into fruition while I was there. Um, I had taken an introduction to spiritual formation class uh, from one of the main professors in that program at the time and just really fell in love with it, fell in love with um, the spiritual disciplines, a huge part of my calling I left out is, and, and we've talked about this before on this podcast, um, Richard Foster's book, The Celebration of Disciplines, was also a part of my calling. Like my pastor had preached through that. And when he preached the week on meditation and led us through a med- meditation practice, I heard God say to me, um, feed my sheep. And so like the practices of meditation and simplicity things that Foster talks about in this book and others have really just been a draw for me. I think just maybe, and I think part of that's just because I, I feel like I, I never live up to what I want to be, you know, who I want to be as a Christian. You know, I don't read scripture enough. I don't pray enough. And so by trying to practice those things, you know, and get into that routine, hopefully I'll be better at those kind of things, grow that relationship with God. Um, and so I have, taught and preached about that in the local church um i have been part of a covenant group for the past six out of my seven years of ministry um which comes out of those spiritual formation practices and our wesleyan tradition um and and those things they feed my soul and i and i try as much as i can to to get my church to understand how practices like that can feed their souls and grow their relationship too Uh, But it's such a core part to us as Wesleyans that it just kind of, it made sense. And so when the degree program became available and I had had classes with some of the the main professors who I just absolutely loved and adored, still reach out and and meet up with the one anytime I'm back down, um, visiting my best friend who still lives in Wilmore. Like it, it just, it just made sense to me. I don't know what that will mean, you know, if that might mean that down the road, my vocation might change and I become a spiritual director or I end up teaching in that field or something like that. I don't know, but it just felt right when that program became available and I was on campus in the seminary 
I said, I need to take these classes now because if I don't do them now, I won't come back and do them later. So, and out of the year and a half to my seminary career, it, you know, a year and a half that was well worth it, in my opinion. I'm, I'm wondering, Erica, if you can share um, what role the people you had seen in ministry as you were coming of age, as you were growing up, maybe shaped your sense of calling. Part, part of what I'm wondering is, I, I, I know you've shared before in conversations on our podcast that uh, parts of your family of origin growing up uh, have um, Roman Catholic roots. Am I remembering yes. right? Mm -hmm. And then obviously in the United Methodist tradition, uh, women have been ordained into ministry for some time. They're still not at that point in the Roman Catholic tradition, although <laughs> uh, women are in different kinds of roles, maybe in the tenure of Pope Francis that they hadn't been before, but not at ordained ministry yet. I know often I'll hear people say, not just in ministry life, but in other areas, that it's hard to aspire to be something if you have never seen it and you don't think it, it, that it could be you. And I'm curious whether your own reflection is, uh, has, has any of that sense of like, if it mattered to be able to see other women in ministry at some point to see yourself in that role, if that was never an issue and you just knew, yep, I can be this. Um, if there, if any of that was a tension for you knowing some in your family were part of a tradition that did not include uh, the ordination of women as part of their ministry life. What, what, what was that like for you, if I can ask? So... I never had female ministers growing up. Um, I had two male ministers that I distinctly remember from my growing up years from about 10 on. Um, I had two male ministers. Honestly, the first time I met a female minister was when I accepted the calling and, and started the process, the candidacy process, the United Methodist Church. My first mentor uh, was a woman and we're still good friends. Um, it was never... Like my best friend who dragged me to the lay ministry school was a woman. She preached at our church quite often when our pastor was on vacation. So I saw her doing it, but I mean, she was doing it in a lay role, not in a clergy role. Um, but I never got this sense from the Methodist or the Catholic side of my family. Like, this is something you can't do. Um, in fact, my Catholic father said, you know, after I finally discerned that call and, and, and shared with them, like my discernment. He's like, I always knew you were going to go into some sort of ministry of some type. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, it was never discouraged, but I never really encountered women. Like I said, I never encountered another female minister until Alice, my first mentor. Um, and she really helped me realize that, um, because I'll be honest, for a while there, I was kind of like that I am woman, hear me roar kind of, you know, mentality. Like, I deserve this just as much as my male colleagues do. And Alice taught me, you know what, just go in and and do what you do. You're called, like, mm -hmm. and, and just let your calling speak through your ministry. Mm -hmm. you, you don't have to be like, you know, I deserve this because, you know, you're called. Just, just let that speak for itself. And if people don't like it, well, then that's on them not on you so which has been really helpful because i i've i have encountered that you know where people have kind of pushed back about not directly to me um but you know sometimes people will leave the church when they find out females coming you know, before she gets there mm -hmm. and you know i i can't say if any of those definitely left for that reason or they left for other reasons but mm -hmm. um it's it's okay 
Um, <laughs> if I can be blunt, don't let the door hit you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that sounds really crude, but that's just like, you know, if I, I I'll have the, I'll have a conversation with you about it, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to argue with you about my calling. Sure. 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 And there, there's wisdom in generally speaking in life, not just in call stories for that line that you don't have to attend every argument you're invited to in life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if, if um, uh, turning the tables a little bit, uh, you have ever had any sense that you have been some bit of inspiration for somebody considering ministry because they've seen you do it. I'm like, I wonder if you've had any glimpses. Uh, I, I know you were not like at the end of a career looking at retirement, you know, like that you've touched all the lives <laughs> you will touch yet. But like, do you have moments where you're like, huh, I wonder if this was one of those times where somebody who didn't think it was an option for them or a possibility for them may have seen that uh, because I, I embodied it for them first. Or if, if you've had any moments to reflect like that. I don't know directly if that's been the case. Um, there is a, a young woman who's a few years younger than me from my home church um, who I think she started after I graduated, also went to seminary. She's on the deacon route in mm-hmm. our denomination, which is a different ordination. Um, now, it used to be that you were ordained a deacon and then you were ordained an elder. Now those are two separate routes in the Methodist church. Um, but she's always kind of had a calling of some sort. I think she's just, it's taken her a while to discern what that was mm-hmm. exactly. Um, so I don't know if it was me or if it was that same pastor that helped me discern my calling. Sure. Um, Cause her family and his family are, are very close. Um, yeah. We all went to the same seminary. Yeah, so I, I don't know how much effect maybe I had on Jess and her calling. Um, if maybe, you know, me going and, and, finishing school and getting ordained all that like helped give her that little nudge that she needed mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um either either way i'm excited for her sure you know, sure um and proud of her for what what she's doing and the call that she's following so i think that's a really important thought even though this is a little bit off the subject of, of call stories but it, i think it's it's important to recognize that sometimes our role isn't to be like the sole mentor for somebody in their life, but one of several guideposts mm-hmm. along the way. And that it's not like that ministry is not like um, being the Jedi master taking on one Padawan learner, like in the, the movies or like there's, you are the one person who will teach this person the ways of ministry, but more like, no, you're, you're meant to be one of many who will be voices. And there'll be some things that people learn from you in your ministry mm-hmm. Uh, they are intentional. Some things they learn when you don't realize they're paying attention. And there'll be some things that stick because they resonate with what they've seen in other people at the same time. Um, and maybe maybe there's something humbling for each of us, but also kind of empowering too that we have the opportunity to be making an impact on a whole bunch of people, even if it's not an official mentor-mentee you know, kind mm-hmm. of a way. And there have been some recent people that have been ordained in my conference who I've gotten close to as they went through their provisional time. And so while they, they had their calling before we ever met um, and they had finished or at least gone through most of their seminary before we met, I think in the conversations that we have now, you know, as they, uh, one of my friends just uh, will, will be ordained later this year was just interviewed not too long ago for ordination. You know, and I think I've had some influence on his ministry mm. um, as he's had influence on mine, sure. you know, uh, it, it's been a very mutual kind of thing. Um, 
he stretches my thinking on some things. Hopefully I stretch his thinking on some things. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of neat to see how that happens. Um, I'm really curious when we get to heaven someday <laughs> yeah. and um, see exactly how many people, because so much of our work we don't get to see come to fruition. Yeah. Could I pose another question to you, Erica? When I hear people tell call stories, and I'm thinking back to classmates of mine and seminary and pastors and colleagues ever since, often I hear people pick up like echoes or resonances with particular particular biblical characters and their call stories sometimes mm -hmm. it's a you know a prophet or uh, it's one of the disciples or one of those stories or it's mary magdalene running from the tomb on easter sunday or it's uh, even sometimes it's the church's hymnody like you know it um it's it's real real popular in some circles to sing that song uh, here i am lord is it i lord i've heard you calling in the night and and yeah. you know, in fairness it seems like every seminarian at some point like falls in love with that hymn and like oh my goodness this is the most meaningful hymn ever and because that's what you're going to of course and then mm -hmm. you know you come to a point of like okay i'm over it it's a lovely fine song but this i don't need to be the center of every hymn that kind of thing but are there uh songs or hymns or biblical uh, passages or stories that have particularly resonated with you as you've looked at your own call story i guess so here I am, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard of that one. <laughs> Since you mention it. Yeah. No, serious. Like um, when we do our lay ministry schools and I'm currently um, co-chair, co-director, co-leader, whatever you want to call it, of the lay ministry school for my particular district. And, um, you know, we're, we're do, we did a, a ser uh, school during Lent and the closing hymn usually of the uh, of these schools last for several weeks, you know, here they, they were on Sunday afternoons. We have a closing ceremony with, you know, like the district superintendent usually preaches and we recognize the folks that finish classes. The closing hymn to those is usually here I am Lord. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not sick of the song yet. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, mm -hmm. I get where some people do get sick of that song. I'm not sick of that song yet. It's still, um, I still cry sometimes when I sing it. Yeah. It's um, so that's definitely um, it's up there in like my top five, mm -hmm. um, along with the fight songs from my seminary and can it be, but that's a very Wesleyan tune. Um. <laughs> it's, it's interesting to me that the seminary has a fight song. <laughs> well, it's our unofficial fight song because it's by Charles Wesley. Um, and it just, it, you have to be there for opening convocation to hear everybody sing it. It's just, I, I can't describe it. Um, but biblical characters, Moses. We uh -huh. talked about with you, you know. I, I said when we were talking about your calling and story, Steve. I don't consider myself to be a public speaker. Um, ask me to speak publicly on anything outside of scripture or religion, I'll start freaking out and I'll be real nervous. Mm -hmm. Um, put me in a pulpit with scripture and a sermon in front of me, I'm good, I'm solid, I'm mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. not an issue. Um and Isaiah for the, you know, where the here I am comes from. Okay. Yeah. has always been, um, not so much that I had that Isaiah moment by any means. It was a very yeah. slow and just yeah. kind of like it built over time. Mm -hmm. But, uh, I don't know if I fell in love with the song because of the passage out of Isaiah, or I fell in love with the passage out of Isaiah because of the song. Yeah. Yeah. They, they go too much together in, in, in my story. Sure. Um, so 
Although, can I can I offer one quick pet peeve now about that? The way we talk about that biblical story is, and it feels like maybe because it's important for so many seminarians that they resonate with that. He will go for us, and you know, here am I, send me. We don't tell seminarians the next part of the story is God saying to Isaiah. Good. You're going to tell people who are not going to listen to you and you're going to keep talking <laughs> and they're going to reject you, you and get ready for it. That's how it goes. And then he goes out and does it anyway. <laughs> like that, uh, I, I, I know why nobody has written an additional verse to the hymn. That's like, I went out and everybody was mad at me because I said the things that need to be said. But it's, it's funny to me that when Isaiah says, here am I, send me, then God's immediate response is okay. But so that we're clear, they're totally not going to get it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, doesn't he say that every prophet, though? Like, listen, I want you to tell the people this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're not going to listen to you. But you need to go tell them anyways. Right, right, right. Yeah. So, So, yeah, that's one of those learning things, too, that we go into (laughs) seminary and say, I'm going to change the world. And at some point, it's like, oh, I'm going to accompany people through life. And some things will make a difference. And some will just be, I sat with them when they went through hell. Um, And sometimes it'll be, we made finger puppets of jesus with you know popsicle mm-hmm. sticks and glue sticks and hope that something good stuck from it too yeah i thought i knew so much about scripture and things when i went to seminary because you know like out of the people from my church it felt like i knew more than not trying to boast and then i get to my first class where my professor can read and speak and translate on the spot greek and hebrew and like latin and like i'm like okay i know nothing I, I love your call story. I think it's lovely. And I'm really glad that we got the opportunity to hear it uh, in its like entirety. Because I feel like in our conversation for these last couple of years, we get just such small bits and pieces mm-hmm. here and there. And but being able to hear it from its start to, I don't want to say its end, but from its start till your ordination, like I, I think it's just so lovely to hear and you did a great job telling it. So thank you for sharing with us. Well, thank you for the opportunity. Yeah. I, it's many times that I share that I always forget things like the Richard Foster and, and stuff. <laughs> like, it's funny how we've lived through these stories mm-hmm. and we know these stories. These are our stories. I'm not trying to tell Steve your call story or Sarah your call story. I'm telling my call story. And yet I don't always get it all together <laughs> like I, I always find myself having to fall back oh wait I forgot to tell you about this part yeah um, and I feel like we had to tell it so often in seminary and in candidacy like you know to be ordained mm-hmm. um but then since then it's like I don't know we don't get the opportunity to tell it anymore so I feel out of practice like as you've both been telling your stories I keep thinking oh yeah and there's this thing I, and I have to like quickly <laughs> write it down in my notes to yeah. remind myself to, like say it when it's my turn and it's mm-hmm. yeah out of practice it makes me have a whole different window of appreciation too about the task of the gospel writers as they're writing not their story but Jesus story mm-hmm. and they yeah. were moved by several decades and, there, you know, like if, if we have a challenge remembering how we told it last time and what details are important, yeah, there's going to be some difference between Matthew, Mark, and Luke and John. Uh, all of a sudden, I don't have any problems with that. <laughs> totally makes sense. Steve 10 minutes ago and Steve 10 minutes from now is going to be two totally different versions. So, yeah, I get that. Yeah, before Jesus ascended, they should have made him sit down and write something <laughs> wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, we've had the chance to hear two call stories so far, but there's three people on this podcast. So surprise, surprise, spoiler alert, next week, we ask you to join us as we get to hear another call story here on Crazy Faith Talk. Yeah.
Bye. Bye.